we are in the book of First Peter, chapter two. We're going to finish up chapter two today. You know, in our in our journey of First Peter, remember we got to keep in mind the time time. Whenever you're reading the Bible, you got to remember it was written at a certain time to a certain group of people, talking about certain issues. If we don't understand the context in which some of this is written, we'll often misinterpret and misunderstand the message of the Bible. And so it's really important to know that. So again, second, uh, First Peter here is written probably in the early 60 A.D. The Roman Empire, and I, I should have got a little, little map, but if you can imagine uh, in, your, in your mind a map with, you know, Africa down here and Italy, like actually for you guys, Italy would be up over here. You got Rome. You have all this area coming around with uh, Israel and all this into Africa coming over like that. Ro Rome was ruling the entire northern part of Africa all the way up through Israel, part of Jordan. The whole area up, up in the north, which would be Greece and Turkey and Mesopotamia, all of that is, is all being um, ruled by, by Rome. I mean, Rome is just magnificent as a state. Um, they've conquered so much. The, the history of Rome is, is pretty simple. It's, it ruled for about 500 years as a republic. But shortly before the coming of Christ, um, a guy that we've heard of, Julius Caesar, um, he came in and actually became a dictator of Rome. And that was in about 44 BC. And that stopped the republic. Um, it really was the end of the republic and it began to be ruled by emperors, single like kings. It started out as kings, turned into a republic, which by the way, that's what our country is. It's a republic. We don't live in a democracy in this, in this nation. It's a republic. We've got a lot of the things fashioned and formed out of, out of Rome. And so they had a Rome with the, with the Senate, a republic, and then around 44, Julius Caesar was a, he came in and he was a brilliant tactician and he came into Rome and he became a dictator, um, I think in about 46, and two years later, uh, at the hands of the Senate, including his good friend Brutus, et tu Brutus, they, so they killed him because they began to take the republic from a republic and make it into a monarchy. So shortly after that, um, we find the, f the first ruler we know of besides Julius Caesar setting up as, an, as a Caesar, and that was Augustus. Augustus then ruled for a long time, and then Tiberius came, and Tiberius was the Caesar of Rome when Christ was killed. So Rome is in charge of everything, including Israel. And this is the backdrop. Um, so there's all these people, but Rome was wise in a lot of ways. They didn't make everyone change all of their customs. As long as they didn't revolt against the government, as long as they did certain things, they could be left in peace. So we have a number of religions. Now, remember, up here at the top uh, of the map is, is Greece. Well, Greece was a ruling power at one time, too. But now Greece is, uh, much of that is under the control of Rome also. And so you have all the, the Greek influence, and you have Rome. Then you have the Jewish influence. You've got all the other pagan religions that were plenty in, the, in that time. And now you have this new religion coming on the scene, Christianity. And because of the Caesars in Rome, one of the common things is you can't have another god. They don't want there to be any other gods but Caesar. So this is getting really difficult um, to do. So we're going to we're going to start and pick up at verse 13 in second or first Peter chapter 2 and we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter th uh, chapter 2 to the beginning of verse chapter 3. 
I want to I want to pray because I've got a lot a lot in this section. I want to make sure we hit hit it all and do a good job. <sighs> Heavenly Father, as we get into the Word today, pray that you would help us to to understand what you were speaking to us through through the Apostle Peter in this time. God, the, your word is alive, but God, it needs to be interpreted correctly. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand and interpret this passage well. Bless this time in the word. Help us to be challenged. Help us to grow through it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the section in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's trying to help us to understand if you remember back in, in just a little bit before, how to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You remember he, he said that that's what we were called to do. He also said that we were um, called to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So this is part of the whole process, even as we're reading this next section. The ultimate goal in this letter is that he's trying to help us as Christians live in a world that's contrary to Christianity live in a world that has its difficulties, that has its tribulations. We're going to talk about some serious tribulations uh, for certain groups of people in this section. And, and the whole point of this is not about talking about how to... Uh, he's not addressing evil governments. He's not addressing social injustices like slavery, which is a big point today. And he's not talking... In chapter 3, we're going to get into marriage. He's not talking about those as much as individual people learning how to live for Jesus in the situations that they're in. So we're going to try to tackle something today that's a serious topic, and we're going to talk about slavery a little bit today, what the Bible says about slavery, because we're going to go into this passage in just a minute about slavery. So, But before we get there, in verse, th in, in verse 13, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, Remember, we talked about that. The important part was for the Lord's sake. It's not for the government's sake. It's not for our sake. It's for God's sake. And the reason he wants us to submit is so that we'll have a good testimony, that we won't be known as rebel rousers, but we'll be glorifying God. Now, one of the things I pointed out a couple weeks ago is that we submit to the government, to the ruling authorities, as far as it doesn't conflict with conscience, as far as it doesn't conflict with what the Bible teaches us that we have to do. So we submit to the government until that point. Also, I think it would be safe to say that it, it says, submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to his king, to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do it good. When a government begins to punish for good deeds and reward bad deeds, that's another time we stop submitting to that. Okay, so when a government is absolutely upside down that it's no longer um, trying to punish good or pun punish evil and, and uh, rewarding good, that's a time that we have to stop submitting to that government. Okay, so we're not going to spend much time in that, but it keeps going on. This is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is the key passage here and for the rest of, of chapter 2, and we'll see it again in 3 and in 4. The will of God is that we would do well and we would put silence to ignorance of men. And he says, as free, because we're free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, as bondservants of God, and it's, we closed a couple weeks ago with this, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And so that's kind of the context. Now, let's go back just a little bit further. Remember the week before that, so it's about three weeks ago, we talked about how we were a kingdom of priests, 
a holy priesthood. We were, we're a holy nation, a chosen people. And that is the context that he, Peter is writing to everyone in the church, and he's calling all of us holy and royal and chosen, and he's lifting us up. Okay, so here's verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. We're going to be talking this morning about submitting in all relationship to authorities, for slaves to submit to masters. Next week, the Bible talks about wives to husbands, but according to Ephesians 5.21, we also submit to one another as Christians. So we're learning to learn how to submit to one another in love for God. And he begins this, verse 18, with servants, be submissive to your masters. Now this is interesting in my studies. You know, the Bible is written not in English. It's written in Greek. The word, they use a di number of different words for servants and slaves. But here, the word they used is doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S is the Greek you know, kind of spelling for it. The word doulos in all of literature always means slaves. It never means servants. Yet, in almost all the English translations of the Bible, they've translated it many times as servants and as bond servants. And that got me really questioning, well, why did they do that? There's only a couple of uh, Bibles that actually translate the word doulos as slave every time it's done. And so, and so here, it, it, when we see, now, now they, he, he goes back and forth a few times talking about servants, which is, it was oikias, or, or the doulos, which is slaves. And he goes back and forth, but whenever the word doulos appears, they should translate as slave. But I believe that when the translators, going all the way up to like Calvin, when they began to translate the Bible, that was too harsh of a word. And so they actually wanted to soften it a little bit. But so whenever we see doulos, we need to think slave. Slave. Now, now this is a really interesting part. Go back to verse 16. In verse 16, Peter says, You're free, but don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Now, this bondservants is doulos. And forgive me a moment ago, I misspoke. This one is the doulos. Slaves of God. Absolutely. Not a servant, not of some lovely thing that I can choose if I want to, to have slaves of God. In verse 18, he's actually literally talking to slaves, but he uses another word, and that's the household servant version of the word slave. It really would be household servant. So he calls us slaves, and then he begins to talk to real slaves, and he calls them household servants. It's kind of interesting. So we've got to understand just a little bit about slaves as we go into this. In Rome, about one out of every four people in the Republic were slaves. One out of four were slaves. The heads of the Roman Senate and all those, there's about 600 of them, they owned just them. Many of them individually would own 20,000 slaves. One person would have 20,000 slaves. Okay, rich people had slaves. Now, here's the thing. We go, wow, that's just, how, how does that work? The slaves were carpenters and masonries. They worked in the fields. They were also the lawyers. They were also the physicians. 
some slaves could actually be politicians. Is that confusing? So we have a concept of slavery that's come mostly from this country, which with the actual slave trade. And so whenever we think of slaves, we think of this. There's huge, vast differences of how many people lived in Rome and how many, but millions of, this, of slaves. At some points, they say there could have been 45 million people in Rome, and about 10 million of those would have been slaves. Other figures say, well, there wasn't that many people, but it, they do agree about one out of four people were slaves. There were two levels of slaves, two general levels of slaves. One was what definitely what you would use the word doulos for, slave. They're the ones who are beaten. They're treated very poorly, and they're the ones working at the hardest, worst jobs. But then a household servant would be in charge of a house. In fact, some household slaves could own property, could save money, and actually buy their freedom back. And so, so we have this dichotomy even within the slaves. So this is, this is kind of a history thing, but we have to understand a little bit of what we're dealing with in order to understand this uh, passage in the Bible. So he's talking here. He says, household servants, household slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. So it's commendable if we suffer for doing well, even if, though we shouldn't suffer. What credit is it when you are beaten for your faults if you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And then he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And then there's a, that's a whole other section we're going to get into in a minute. So we're going to talk a little bit about slavery. What does the Bible teach us about slavery? The Bible actually does not condemn slavery. Anywhere in the Bible, it doesn't condemn slavery. Here, Peter almost makes it sound like slavery is okay. He doesn't talk to the masters. I'm looking for the place where he says, well, you know, what are you going to say to the masters? Well, there's other places where it talks about masters, treat your slaves with dignity, with respect. Don't be harsh with them. So there's rules. But he, the Bible doesn't say, masters, masters, set your slaves free because it's wrong. Now, we as a social justice people, and we're coming more and more into social justice, that word is so popular everywhere, social justice, we don't even understand what it always means, we would say, let's write something that says, masters, set your slaves free. But that's not Peter's goal, that's not Paul's goal, that's not the New Testament. And there's a, a number of reasons. One, I, I believe, this is just this is my, my belief, reading the a lot of commentaries, you go, okay, this is a, what a lot of the commentators believe. 45 million people, Christianity is this big in comparison. They actually don't have a lot of hope that they're going to change the entire culture of Rome. So he's talking to the believers in the situation that they're in, believing that it's not going to change. And to also understand that if they do an uprising and a revolution within the culture, they're so small, likely they'll just be killed and they won't make any difference. So they're writing to them of, to say, listen, this is the situation you're in. This is how you should live. Submit with reverence and fear, always calling on God. Do it for the Lord's sake. But that doesn't mean that the Bible 
condones slavery. The Lord's goal is that the world would be saved. This passage of scripture is all about people finding Christ. That's why he's encouraging us to live right. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter's whole goal is, let's live a life so that other people see your good works, see God in you, and that they will actually glorify God themselves. The Bible teaches some things specifically about slavery, though it doesn't condemn it. It does say that you're supposed to treat your servants well and not be harsh with them. It does say that you are not allowed to actually go and steal somebody. See, slavery for us is somebody who's been stolen from a culture, isn't it, for most of us? Stolen from a culture and made to be a slave. The Bible actually condemns that. In Exodus, it says, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he is caught must be put to death. Okay, so the Bible does condemn stealing people to sell them into slavery or stealing them and using them as a, being, being kidnapped and use them as a, as a slave that way. So you can't do that. So all of the slavery that we saw in this nation was condemned by the Bible because we were rounding up people from other cultures. In fact, anytime you take somebody from another culture, that's kidnapped, that's condemned in the scriptures in multiple places. It's also in, in 1 Timothy 1, if you're taking notes, uh, 8 through 10, there's a list of things that are abominable to the Lord that we as believers shouldn't be partaking in, and one of them is kidnapping. Well, if you're stealing somebody and having them become a slave, you're kidnapping. So that type of slavery is absolutely condemned in the Bible. But that's not typically the slavery we see in Rome and in Greece. And even in Israel, Israel had slaves. Israel's rules about slavery were, were very kind. They had to treat them very well. They were supposed to. And every seven years, they had to let them go. They didn't do that. That's one of the things God judged Israel for, is not letting their slaves go every seven years. They stopped doing that. I wonder why, because they got greedy like we do, right? People get greedy. So slavery, what, what kind of people became slaves in Rome? Some of them were Romans themselves. Boys were more highly valued in Greece and in Rome than girls. And some people that have a child, if it was a girl, they'd often leave the child in the field to die of exposure. So many of the children were found in the fields, abandoned by their parents, little babies, they would take those babies and raise them as slaves. So it was death or slavery. But some of those, some of those children would, would be raised as slaves that could become a physician and other things. Many people were in slavery because of their debt. They owed so much money that they couldn't pay it themselves. And so they became a, a slave and indebted to somebody and they had to work off that debt to them. So slavery was much different in Rome. So it's important to understand that as we, we talk about this issue of slavery. And it's, it's important for us to know that no, the Bible does not condone slavery the way we understand slavery to be. Some pastors, some teachers, commentators, we try to downplay the word slavery too much though in the Bible and say it's, it's the same as just an employer. If it's, you're talking about slavery, it's just like being an employee. It's similar, but there is still a difference. If you're an employee, you can quit your job, 
and go to someone else. Remember Jesus said you can't serve two masters? Well, if I'm an employee, I can serve two masters. I can have a day job and a night job. Of course I can serve two masters. I mean, we, you know, we do the, people do that. It's like, oh, I feel, I feel like a slave at my job. Who's ever said that? <laughs> you know? I'm a slave to the bills. I'm a slave to this. And we throw the word slave around a little too lightly because the truth is most of us can quit and find another master, find another job. But Jesus said you can't serve two masters. The word in Greek uh, is, is the same word that where we get the word despot from. Not a good word. You know, the d despotism, it's that harsh ruling force. So, and, and Jesus says you can't serve two despots. There's masters. You got to choose one. So, the idea of slavery, today we're going to get into both of these sides. He calls us slaves, and he's the master. And he says, if, but if you're, a, if you're a physical slave, well, here's some things. He said, if you're free, we just read that. As free, verse 16, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. We're free slaves. He's talking to slaves within a culture that they didn't, many of them, uh, most of them didn't have the, the uh, very many rights. Some could attain more rights, but they didn't have rights in the society. And yet he's lifting them up and saying, you're free. You're free men. A little earlier, he told these same slaves that are in the church, imagine if 25% of us today were slaves. You got to come to church, but when you got home, you lived in somebody's home as an actual slave. He's, that's what the church is made up of. And he's talking to the slaves. He says, submit to your rulers. But know that you're submitting as to the Lord because you're actually free. Actually free. Okay. A little more background. Greece, Rome, a lot of the cultures at this time also had household codes of how to maintain your house. In fact, one of the ideas of whether or not you could be part of Rome and have a different culture and a different religion is whether or not your household code lined up with their household code. Okay, and the household code was pretty, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of intricacies, but it basically is this. Wives, they're not chattel, which is just property, but they don't really have a lot of uh, value. They can't vote. They can't do that. So wives are always submitted to the husband in the culture. Children are submitted to the mom and to the dad. Slaves are submitted to the, the masters. This is the household code. You don't get that out of line. If you get that out of line in this culture, the, the Romans would actually reject you and may not allow you to continue to live. So here we have First Peter written to slaves, husbands, and wives. And what Peter's saying is, listen, while you're living in this culture, wives submit to your husbands, slaves submit to your masters out of reverence for God. But at the same time, as the one he's saying, we're going to obey over here, I'm going to tell you that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Don't think of yourself as though you're free people. You're free. So we have to walk in this earth today, understanding that we're free, understanding that we're royalty, understanding that we're precious even though we live in a time that we're oppressed we might live in a place in a time that we, persecution will come because of our christian beliefs it's happening more and more 
business owners are being sued for not serving certain types of people. We're, we're being oppressed. But the Bible says, listen, this is going to happen to you. And I want you to live as free people. You're a chosen people, royal. But while you're here, submit as to the Lord. Why? Because by doing so, you lift the name of Jesus Christ. You lift the glory of God. He's not calling us to social revolution. That's not what Jesus came to do. A lot of people say, what would Jesus do in these situations? And then they say that he would do these crazy social, social justice things. He didn't do a ton of social justice. He lifted individual people, and he brought salvation to every household. And that's what we're supposed to do too. Our primary goal as Christians is to live a life so that other people see how we live, and they want to give glory and honor to God. The purpose of the Bible is always to point the way to salvation. So how do we look at ourselves? Do we like the word bondservant or slave? I like the word bondservant. And yet he calls us slaves. It rubs against us because we want to say, well, wait a second. Hey, what about me? You know, I, I want to serve you, God. I want to be a servant of God. And yet he calls us slaves. He says, you used to be a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. God, Jesus Christ, actually, when he talks about masters and servants, he uses the word despot and doulos. He is the despot and we are the doulos. He is the master and we are the slave. And that's, that's really challenging for us because we, we, we want to live a life where we just make up our own rules and we do our own thing. But he wants us to submit ourselves completely to the Lord. Now, here's what's great. If there was ever a great slave owner, a great master, it's Jesus. We've all probably read books of slaves, even in this country, who had masters who were very good to them. In fact, we know that some slaves, when they were set free, didn't want to leave. And they stayed with their slave owners. They're just human and they were good. Christ is our master. And we are his slaves. If we actually lived our life and woke up in the morning and said, Lord, master. See, oh, by the way, the word Lord, curious, is master. What if we woke up in the morning and says, master, what do you want me to do today? When that, could that actually change the whole world? Master, what do you want me to do? I think, and, and I, I struggle with this. I wake up in the morning and say, God, I got to do a whole bunch of stuff. I hope you help me do it. <laughs> right? God, I got so much to do today. Help me get it all done. Those are our prayers. Lord, you know, help me, help me, help me. And we're like, wait a second. That's the slave going to the master. Hey, I'm going to go do all these things, and I need your help. Now, Jesus delights in helping. Jesus himself is the suffering servant. But we are his slaves. There's actually cultures that slaves have their own slaves. That's kind of interesting. So let's, let's go on. We're going we're to finish this up because we want to make some connections here. Verse 21 is talking about submitting to your, to your master's with all fear. In verse 20 it says this, For to this you were called, 
because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And verse 22, we're going to go and read Isaiah 53, comes right out of that. Go to cha uh, Isaiah chapter 53. When Jesus walked, he quoted from Isaiah 53, talking about himself. And in Peter, Peter connects the dots for us using the term that we've heard, the suffering servant. He points to Jesus Christ as being the suffering servant. Verse 1, it says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Many of you, if you haven't read this, many of you have heard that Jesus was probably not overly attractive. He was just a very plain person. They go, well, why do we know that? Because Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about Jesus. He wasn't somebody that stood out among others. In this culture, you've got to stand out in order to make it. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Church, you need to underline this whole chapter. You need to read this. This is Jesus and what he's done for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Every time we turn our back in the past, today, in the future. All of that was laid upon Jesus on the cross and he paid for every sin. Everything that we did, he paid for. Whew. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't challenge them. He didn't say, hey, I'm innocent of the things you're, you're saying. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days through us, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Peter goes on, and he's really he's going to quote these verses. So he says, He who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, Jesus, quoting right out of 53, says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. You were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter's taking now Christ and saying, look at what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for me. He suffered. He didn't retaliate, and he did it all for us. Jesus was the suffering servant, and he's talking to servants and slaves about living and being submitted and doing the same thing. And he uses in verse 21, he says, 
For to this you were called. Church, we were called to live like Jesus. We were called to live as slaves to God. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. I don't know about you, but there's, when I was in the world and coming out of the world, and even still today, sometimes I feel like I was a slave to sin, like I couldn't not sin. There's just something in me. It drove me trying to stop it on my own. I was a slave to sin. Sin came very easy. Sin comes easy. We're slaves to it. When Christ came and set us free, he says we've become a slave to righteousness. And I keep praying, God, help me to live that out. I want to be a slave to righteousness where, where it's, I, you can't stop me from being righteous. I just have to do the things of God. I'm driven. Like food's a big one for me. You know, dieting, eating certain foods, not eating other foods. Anyone relate with how difficult that is? Am I the okay? I mean, you know, isn't it amazing that by accident sometimes you'll skip a meal or two if you're busy? By accident, you won't have a sweet. You just don't think about it. You didn't have a Coke. You didn't have anything. You might get to the end of the day and say, man, I haven't had any sweets today. Maybe by accident you'll, you haven't had any bread, whatever it is. But the moment you wake up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to skip one meal and I'm not going to have any sweets. By 10.30 in the morning, you're throwing open the cupboard doors and you have to eat now. Right? It's like you do it by accident all the time. You get busy with work or play and you just, you just forget to eat. But the moment you choose not to, you are a slave to food. We become slaves to sin in the same way. And, and Christ wants us to become slaves to righteousness, to where it just be like, you know, you can't stop me. i got to serve Jesus. He says, Christ was the suffering service. And in verse 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The word example there is awesome. It's like hupamatasso. I don't know. But it's, it would be tracing the letters. Do you remember when you're, you know, we homeschool, so we've taught all our kids how to read and write. Remember when you were first learning how to read and write, there was the A and it had the dots on it? And you just had to follow, trace that. Exactly. You know, and then they did the same thing as cursive. They don't even do cursive in school anymore. Do a, you know, maybe a backwards cursive S. That was pretty good, huh? Cursive S and you trace it. That's the word that they're using. It's the exact same word. They did the same thing in the Greek to teach their kids how to write the alphabet. The kids would have to trace words and trace letters in the, you know, the, the alpha and the, the, the delta and the gamma. And they had to trace it. Exactly. That's how they learned to write. In fact, we were at the Valley of Fire this week over in Nevada. It's a state park. Really neat. There's petroglyphs all over the place. And you know, if you've come here long enough, you know I'm weird. <laughs> my, my thinking process is just different than others. I get that, and I feel really bad for the people I'm with sometimes. Because I'll be talking about, you know, just things that are curious and interesting to me. And I realize that people are bored out of their mind. <laughs> like, probably this morning. But um, I was looking at the petroglyphs, and I thought, they really look the same. Do you think there was only petro one petroglyph writer in the whole culture? 
but they looked the same. I thought they learned what animals looked like. Certain animals looked a certain way. Hands looked a certain way. Things, they look really similar. I think they were taught, even in that culture, this is how you write. You, no, 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 that's not it. That's not a squirrel, that's a coyote. This is a squirrel. Right? And they did it so well that archaeologists go and they look up these things and they go, squirrel, llama. They know the difference. I mean, if I tried to draw a llama, you would think it was a bear. We played this game the other day. We had to draw. It was horrible. But if I was going to live in that culture, I would have to learn how to draw it correctly, just like the original. That's the word example. He gave us an example. We just trace it. We don't change it at all. This is how he lived. This is how we live. It's the same. Christ, when he came, he suffered. And he didn't open his mouth. He didn't defend himself. I'm trying to learn this. I'm, I'm working really hard. Accusations fly at me, and I'm, I'm working at learning to not defend myself. That's really difficult. I've seen some good examples of pastors and leaders who when they, they get accused of just silly stuff or being silly, and I'm learning that I'm not going to defend myself. I want to be like Jesus. I want to live my life in such a way that eventually they'll see my good deeds and all those accusations against me will be put to silence, not because I proved them wrong, but because I lived such a godly life that in the end, nobody will believe any accusations that I was immoral or anything else. That's for all of us. He led by example, the suffering servant. So whatever situation we're in, thank God none of us are slaves in here. None of us are slaves. I think all of our lives are better than the Roman slave. Even the Roman slaves that you know, had, had good stuff, I think all of our lives are better than that. And yet even Peter said to them, submit to them honor God with your life and he's calling for us to do the same thing whatever situation you're in follow the example of Christ the Bible says to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you he'll lift you up let him be our defender let him be our righteousness let's just follow him as he sets the example for us in our speech in our conduct in all parts of our lives because we're more than bond servants we're slaves Slaves to God, understanding, you know what? It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. They're powerful scriptures that we quote, we memorize, but now we live and say, I'm going to die to self and let him live inside of me. He set the example. I'm never going to be perfect. I mean, I'm far from perfect. Ask my family, right? We're never going to be perfect, but we're going to, with all of our force, we're going to follow him. We're going to do a lot of repenting in the process. God, forgive me. And he'll say, the price is already paid. You're forgiven. You know, Peter lets Isaiah speak directly to their situation. We have to follow them. Don't be afraid of the unjust suffering you're experiencing. You know, when we suffer, it's not evidence that God has forsaken us. Some people say, if you're suffering, God must have forsaken you. Often I think it's the contrary. It's evidence that God has chosen you. We're going to suffer. 
You know, tests and trials is what makes us stronger. When you go to the gym, it's the weight of the bar that makes you stronger. It's not because it's easy to move. Don't wander off from Christ. God will strengthen us in the, in the face, and we can face life as a Christian. Remembering that Jesus suffered. He set the example, Isaiah 53. Make your note in the Bible, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. I mean, if there was anyone who suffered injustice when he was innocent, Jesus Christ did that. We are born again into that living hope that this world is not all there is. Praise God. Is, is life good? It's going to be better. <laughs> if life is bad, it's going to be way better. That's the living hope that he calls us all into as he says, you're my slave. I'm your master. I'm a good master. Obey me. He says, and in any situation you're going under, if it's harsh, if it's difficult, bear up, being fearful of God. Respect them, submit to them, knowing that this world is not our home. Let's pray. Father, your word is, is challenging. God, you are calling us closer and closer, further down on the journey. Lord, you desire that we would die to ourselves and live for you, that, that you set the example for us, God, that we might follow in your footsteps. God, we don't want to waver off. We want to follow right in your footsteps. God, we need the strength of the Holy Spirit. So I pray for all of us this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray against condemnation. Condemnation comes, we pray against that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, you know exactly where each of us are. We're all at a different part on our journey and our faith journey as we're drawing closer to you each day. So we pray against condemnation for those, anyone saying, I just can't do it, I can't do it, I can't be perfect. We're not called to be perfect. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage us to, to draw closer to you, to submit ourselves to you as to our master. God, to follow you. Ask that you would help us in our challenges when we're being persecuted, when we have tribulation. Give us extra strength. Give us extra grace in those moments. God, help our eyes to not be on our situation, but upon you that we can see you and follow in your footsteps. Oh, we just praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. A little story real quick as we close with this. One night a man had a dream, and he was walking along the beach, and he saw two sets of footprints. And then later he saw just one set of footprints. And he asked the Lord, he says, Lord, what, what is this? He says, well, when you see those two sets of footprints, it was where we walked in life side by side. We know this story, right? Side by side, I walked with you the whole time. He says, but what, did you leave me there? There's only one set of footprints. He says, no, I never left you. It was in that time that I carried you. And then he says, well, God, what's that squiggly line? And he says, that's where I dragged you. <laughs> so wherever you're at, walking with him, walking next to him, or being dragged. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs>